0: That Gospel passage is a very important turning point in the Gospel of Mark, and it's a very important spiritual moment for Jesus' disciples 2,000 years ago, and for us, hopefully, as his disciples today. So I hope, as always, that you will open up that passage. It's Mark 8, beginning with the 27th verse. It's cited in the bulletin. You can click open via our social media and try to enter into that passage directly as if you're one of those first disciples this week. Most scripture commentators whom I follow would say that the first eight chapters of Mark are the first phase of the gospel, of that gospel, in which Jesus proclaims to people that the kingdom of God has begun in him. He goes out and makes this announcement and it's accompanied by very powerful words and deeds on the part of Jesus. Through that whole first section of the gospel, who Jesus is, is a complete mystery. He's just out there, he's preaching and teaching. In this 27th verse of the eighth chapter, there's a turn, there's actually a literal turn that Jesus and his disciples start traveling toward Jerusalem. For a couple of chapters, they'll be on the road going toward Jerusalem. The deeper change here, or the deeper shift is, more of who Jesus really is begins to be revealed to his disciples. When he gets to Jerusalem, it's the third and final part where ultimately who Jesus is through his passion, death and resurrection, the mystery of who he fully is, is revealed. So we're beginning this section where first disciples and hopefully us are having revealed some of the mystery of who Jesus in truth is. They're on the road. When you enter into this passage this week, notice three important moments. They're on the road discussing who people say that Jesus is. Jesus then says to his disciples who have been with him for a while, who really have been trying to follow him, who do you say that I am? Same question to you and me, not just once, but through our entire lives, just like for them. They're going to have that question through the rest of their lives. Who do you say that Jesus is? One of them, Peter, the head of the 12, says, you are the Christ. I think you know this. The Christ means the anointed one, the Messiah, the Savior, for whom generations of Jewish people have been waiting. You're the Christ, God's anointed one, who has come to this world. Absolutely true. Peter has reached a point with Jesus that he really believes that he is God's anointed one. Jesus immediately tells all of them, don't tell anyone about this. I think you and I know, because there's a lot more to learn about Jesus. If they just go out and announce he's God's anointed one right now, there's much more to come. I'm pointing again to the cross to finally get out and tell everybody. So that's the first moment. The second moment is Jesus says to the disciples that, and so this is new information he's giving them, The Son of Man, the title he uses exclusively for himself, must suffer, must be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, the religious leaders of his time, and be killed and rise after three days. There's no way they can understand this, and that sounds horrible. So to insert here, you and I as Christians, when we hear a first reading from Isaiah or the Psalm we just sang, You can see Old Testament references to a future suffering Messiah. But you and I can see that in the light of what we know about Jesus. There's absolutely no evidence that at Jesus' time, any Jewish person was expecting an anointed one who would suffer. It doesn't make any sense. Most people were probably hoping for an anointed one, a savior who would be a powerful political military person, would end Roman occupation, would restore the kingdom of Israel. So I can totally relate to Peter. When Jesus says that he is gonna suffer and be rejected and be killed, and who knows what he's talking about rising after three days, I understand why Peter takes Jesus aside and he rebukes him. Jesus, in front of the other disciples, rebukes Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. You're thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. He's not calling Peter satanic. He loves Peter. But Peter is thinking the way the devil would like things to go. The devil from the get-go does not want Jesus to suffer or die because the devil does not want Jesus through that to bring salvation into the world. So, first moment, Peter correctly now believes Jesus is the anointed one. Second moment, Peter does not want to have anything to do with the passion that really turns out to be at the heart of who Jesus is. Understandably, for every good reason, Peter does not want to be part of that passion. And the third moment in this passage is that Jesus pulls together the disciples, including Peter and the bigger crowd, and he gives them, every one of us should actually have this down pat. It's the the fundamental requirements of discipleship. Whoever wishes to come after me, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, which means get yourself out of the center of your life and put Jesus there take up his cross, which means accepting whatever is challenging, difficult, a passion today in following Jesus, and follow. Whoever wants to follow me must follow me. I'm confident that means must persist. If you want to be my disciple, Peter, with your where you're right, where you're wrong, where you are right now, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow. You must persist. So, to repeat, I invite you to really take that directly this week. That question of who do you say I am, where are you in terms of the fact that the love of Jesus Christ in a fallen, sinful world inevitably involves a passion with all of our limitations, and where do you stand on the absolute requirements of discipleship? Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and persist. Follow. This is not mostly about sitting at home reflecting. It's definitely about sitting at home reflecting. But it's as importantly in your actions this week, where do you stand on this? Not in your head, not just in what you say, particularly when you're alone and you can lie to God, but in your actions. I'm driven on this by the second reading from the letter of James. James is writing, as we talked about last week, to the early Christian community around 90 or 100 AD. He is telling these people, you say that Jesus is the anointed one. You have as much of a challenge living the passion of his love, and you have been called to accept these requirements of discipleship. He says, if you just say you're a believer in Jesus, if you say I'm a person of faith, but you don't do it, if you don't act, if you don't have the works that you say you believe, you're nothing. The easy example he gives, you as a Christian encounter a brother or sister who doesn't have clothing today and doesn't have enough food for the day. You, I'm talking about you and me, you say Jesus is the anointed one. If you're the most primitive Christian on the planet, you know very well that Jesus teaches directly when a person doesn't have clothing, you give the person clothing. When a person doesn't have food, you give the person food. You have a brother or sister who doesn't have clothing or food for today, and you say to the person, go in peace, be warm, and eat well, but you don't give them the necessities for the day. What does that amount to? The answer is nothing, absolutely nothing. Empty, stupid words. The alternative would be, I am someone who believes Jesus is the anointed one, and I've got this teaching from him. For whatever reasons, I don't want to give you food or clothing today. It's real, for whatever reasons. I don't want to enter into that passion. I don't want to pick up my cross. And I remember I have to deny myself. I have to pick up this cross, and I have to follow him. So I will give you the food and the clothing What comes from that? God's love comes pouring into this world. What does that amount to? Immeasurable possibilities. Take this seriously this week in the areas in which you find living the teaching of Jesus most challenging, in the areas in which you respond positively, and the areas in which you respond badly. You have someone in your life this week who has really offended you. You know that Jesus teaches you must try to forgive without limit. Again, primitive Christian, a little kid knows this. You know this. This week, if you say to that person, go in peace, be happy, have a good day, what does that amount to? Absolutely nothing. Because you have the ability to try to forgive or to forgive The alternative would be to recognize, I believe he's the anointed one. I believe he's the Christ. I do not want to live the passion of trying to forgive this person. I do not want to be part of this. And I will deny myself. I will put him in the center of my life. I will pick up this cross and I will follow. I will forgive. What could come from that? God pouring into this world, into you, into the other person, into this crazy planet. You have a family that is living far away from the truth in some area that's very important. You know what Jesus teaches about this area of the truth and you know it matters. What does it mean if you say to your family, go in peace, let's be a great family, but you don't share with them in love the truth of Jesus in this area, it's nothing. It means nothing. You are nothing in that area. The alternative would be, I say he's the Christ. I acknowledge the passion involved in sharing the truth with this family of mine, and I will deny myself. I'll get myself and my issues out of the center, and I'll put him there. I will pick up this cross today, the challenge involved, and I will follow him. I will share the truth in love. What does that come to? That comes to salvation, pouring into this world and hopefully growing in other people. And you know what? They're not going to kill you. So I invite you to pursue that this week, to recap and to conclude. Jesus is the anointed one. Who do you say he is? I believe that most or all of us in this church this morning really do say he is the Christ. Number two, there is a lot of passion eventually, inevitably involved in living his love in this world. No one by nature wants to jump into the full passion of Jesus's love. Number three, you are a disciple. You can grow in this. And he tells you to do it this week, happily, struggling, wherever you are, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow. We can be much more the kingdom of God next week if we will just directly enter into his love.